0: You're about to listen to Office Hours with me, Georgia Howe. This is a weekly companion series to PragerU's popular five-minute videos, where I explore various political and cultural topics with PragerU experts, asking questions and digging deeper to bring you perspectives that you may not hear in a traditional college classroom. To watch the video version of this series, click on the link in the description or go to dailywire.com. Welcome to Office Hours. I'm Georgia Howe with The Daily Wire. Today, we sit down with senior contributor at The Federalist and author of Confucius Never Said, Helen Raleigh. Helen's new PragerU video is titled, Did Capitalism Save Communist China? Where she explores how China, by allowing free enterprise, lifted itself out of poverty over the course of 30 years, and how in recent years, they've begun to revert back to their Maoist past, exerting more and more control over their citizens. Let's jump right in. Helen, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Georgia. First, I want to ask you a bit about your personal experience. So, something that people don't always realize about communism is how much control is required over the citizens to maintain this collectivist society. And they don't always realize how the citizens really need to fear the government in order for the system to work. Can you talk about that for a minute?
1: So, I can share with you the experience that my great grandparents had through the land reform, which happened right after the communists took over China in 1949. My grand, my great grandparents, they were both hard workers and they earned the land through their hard work. And the uh, Communist Party promised the, all the poor farmers that everybody would own land, you know, you would never have to work for a landowner anymore. So they, the way they did it was to take land from landowners like my great grandparents and forcefully took land away from them and distributed it to over 300 million poor farmers. My great great grandparents lost everything overnight, and if anyone dared to resist, and um, they would put you in jail, you know, torture you, sometimes ask execute you. Between one to two million landowners died during the land reform. So fortunately, my great grandparents survived, but uh, they lost everything, and that just showed you that the government could not have such a tyrannical control if they did not, you know, deliver through fear. The fear of death, fears of execute, you know, execution to intimidate the property owners.
0: Did they initially have to threaten people with death, or was that something that developed over time?
1: Oh, they threatened from the beginning, but all in the name of, in the name of doing good, because they promised the three hundred million poor farmers, landless poor farmers, say, hey, if you do this, this is the only way you can you get to have land. too. everybody will have equal share of land. But what the uh, government actually planned to do, which showed up a few years later was because communism fundamentally does not believe in private property rights. So the whole process of land reform, which taken land away from the landowners, distributing to the poor farmers, was just the first step. So in a few years, the government actually took control of all the lands from the poor farmers. So now, even till today in China, the government owns all the land. There's no private land ownership anymore.
0: So what about private homes? Do people own private homes now?
1: Well, so they do not really own home. It's a 70-year lease. So they do not own, for example, in the United States, when we buy a house, you own the land rights, you own the minerals and everything discovered on your property. But in China, you do not own that. When you buy a house, you really buy the right to use it for 70 years. And no, nobody from the government ever explained what happened after the 70 years.
0: Well, it sounds like the landowners were probably unhappy from the beginning, but how did most people feel when communism arrived?
1: Well, communism when it first arrived was very popular with the mass poor populations because Again, the promise of the communist uh, communist promise was this pie in the sky, this paradise. You know, nobody has to go hungry anymore. Uh, Everybody will have a job. Everybody who wants land will have land. And all the factories will be shared, owned by factory workers. So basically, you're working for yourself. You don't have to have to work for, you know, evil landowners or uh, business owners anymore. So, yes, it was very popular at the very beginning. And even for the poor farmers, because they say, hey, you know, the landowners may be miserable, but there are, there are more of us and we can have land. So they give the government a popular support. Only a few years later, when the government took the land away from the poor farmers, then they finally realized that they were just a stepping stone for the government to nationalize the land ownership.
0: How long did it take for the people in China, including the poor, to become disenchanted with communism?
1: Well, it took uh, less than 10 years. So the land reform started right after the establishment of uh, communist China in 1949. And uh, within the 10 years, the government took over the land ownership and also China experiences the worst famine in human history from 1958 to 1962 that uh, an estimate over 20 million Chinese people died in the starvation. So that's when people finally turned against the communism and realized what a horrible, evil ideology that is.
0: In the video, you talked about how Mao nationalized industry in China. I want to play a clip of that, and then I have a question for you. In 1949,
1: the Chinese Communist Party, aka the CCP, defeated the Nationalist Party in a brutal civil war. The leader of the CCP, Mao Zedong, promised the Chinese people that he would create a new China, a socialist paradise where the benevolent state would take care of every citizen's needs from shelter to education to employment. Mao launched radical socialist reforms. Industries were nationalized,
0: private businesses were eliminated, and land was confiscated. For people who haven't taken economics, can you talk briefly about why government-controlled industry results in shortages? Right.
1: Because the government cannot really, you know, for a complex economy, the government bureaucracies cannot really efficiently or also accurately plan what's the demand versus the supply. So when the government nationalized all the industries, they really uh, took away the, the price signal that uh, make, make sure business can adjust the demand versus supply. So when they when they did that, the whole demand and supply curve became very inefficient. And so we, China, and also it took people's incentive away. When you are not working for yourself, especially for business owners, when they are not working for themselves, when not not they're planning for their own businesses, for their own customers, they really have no incentive to work hard. So then you have a situation when there's a sh- there was a shortage of everything from toilet papers to uh, clothes, that are clothes you wear uh, as well, but mostly it's uh, industrial products that were in great deal of shortages too.
0: And conversely, why does economic freedom result in more prosperity? Well, because economic freedom, it it's really
1: matches with uh, you know with, with our human nature. Um, it, This is a typical, nobody washes the rental car symptom, right? If it's not yours, you don't, you don't care for it. You don't want to work hard for it. But when it's yours, that'll make a huge difference which was the example I gave in the video, that when people uh, are free to make their own choices and when they know that they get, they get to keep what they earn, there's, that's a huge incentive for people to uh, are willing to take risks, are willing to work hard because they're working for themselves. And that's human nature.
0: Can you give me a few examples of how the Chinese government is exerting more control over citizens in daily life?
1: Right. So in recent, in recent years, uh, China's economic growth have, uh, has significantly slowed down. And I believe that a lot has to do with the government exerting more control and slow down the pace of reform. So China still have many industries and sectors that are controlled by the government. For example, the financial in the financial sectors. And when the government controls the financial sectors, small businesses and also people are difficult, it's very difficult for them to get a loans, to start a new business, to expand their businesses, and it's making the capital alloc- allocations very inefficient. In addition to that, the Chinese government also exerts more control over people's political freedom as well. And the, the government currently builds this massive a surveillance system. There are cam. There are cameras everywhere. Their facial recognition technologies being implemented everywhere. So the, basically, the Big Brother is watching everything you do and say. They also implement a social credit system to measure your behavior according to the government standard. What is a good behavior? What is a bad behavior? And penalizing you. For example, if you criticize the government, then you may not be allowed to fly to, or to ever travel again. And those kind of... Uh, a super controlling environment to really stifle people's ability to think for themselves as well as to be creative, to want to take risks, to want, to want to be creative, come up with solutions for new products and services to stimulate the economy. So it's really terrible uh, approach uh, to, to China's economy as well as to people's uh, well-being.
0: So. I've heard, and you can confirm this, that people will lose social credits for going to a church service, for example. Is that accurate? It is accurate because um, the, this whole credit system measure you uh, like over a
1: thousand points, and they really measure your everything, like how the way how you put out the trash, uh, how you treat your pets, how, whether you visit your parents or not. But it also control your political beliefs, like you like you mentioned, you know whether you go to church, you you believe in, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Islam or Christianity, or if you uh, criticize the government for their coronavirus response, there's a lot of points collected will reflect. Basically, will make sure you're either be punished or, or rewarded by the government, and and that's really controlling. Really, set a such a narrow path for each individual. How do the, how they uh, government want you to behave? They want to shape this uh, mold. This particular citizens according to the government standard. It's very scary.
0: And do you sense that it does successfully control people's thinking? I mean, for example, would you say most citizens are uh, supportive of the government or would you say people are just afraid and behave because they just want to maintain their credit score?
1: Um, It's very difficult to engage uh, the true public opinion in China because people won't we're so used to not speak out the truth because speaking the truth will bring you in the tr- get you into trouble. So it's very difficult to know, but definitely there's a lot of fear. There's actually the fear also expanded to overseas Chinese. For, for example, many Chinese students who have families back in China, they are afraid to even talk about a subject like Xinjiang, like Tibet in a foreign classroom because some of their classmates may report what they said back home and it's actually happened to be reported that a student who discussed about those issues right after the class, he got a phone call from his parents, basically said, Hey, we're gonna visit from the government because you said such and such, you know, in your you know, in your class. That's just showed you the level of control. It's just not just in China anymore. It's actually the long arms of control extended overseas to the overseas Chinese population
0: as well. I have one more question for you, Helen. Are there things you're seeing here in the United States that remind you of communist China?
1: Oh, absolutely. This is this is what worries me the most is uh, like the cancel culture. We're starting, you know, with digital book burning. We're canceling great thinkers and great ideas, and we're condemning the entire not we but the woke crowd. You know, condemn the entire Western civilization. And I'm I'm very concerned that we're on such a self-destructive path. You know, we're just delight our Adver- adversaries and really showing um, away what's so great about this country and all the beautiful ideas and great thinkers um, that we have you know, generated in this civilization. I- I'm deeply concerned. Um, I never thought in my lifetime I would have to fight for the right to speak, to freely express myself twice in two different countries. And that's actually very depressing.
0: Helen, you've given us a lot to think about. If you want to hear more from Helen Raleigh, you can go buy her book, Confucius Never Said, or follow her on Twitter at H Speaks. Helen, thank you so much for joining the program.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And that's the end of today's Office Hours. Make sure you tune in next week for our next conversation with a new PragerU presenter. I'm Georgia Howe. Thanks for tuning in. As a reminder, if you'd like to see the video version of this show, or if you haven't seen this week's PragerU five-minute video, make sure to click on the link in the description below, or head over to dailywire.com. We'll see you next Monday for a new interview with another PragerU presenter.